May God add a blessing to these holy words. Please join me in prayer. Holy and loving God, we thank you for the opportunity to give you our thanks and praise this day, this hour. We ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit upon us again. Help us to hear anew your word to us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's story of resurrection is a return to the basics of faith. The greatest commandment. After Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared to the disciples, they, they went back to reconsider everything that they knew in light of this revelation that Jesus had embodied the fullness of God. Which parts of their religion were still valid, they asked each other. What aspects, if any, had changed? And we continue to reflect on this today as each generation must discern what God is calling us to in our ever-changing world. Christ is risen, and the Holy Spirit is still with us. So what does resurrected life look like now? What really matters? Are we meant to dress a certain way, to talk a certain way, to follow certain rituals? Are we even still bound to all the requirements of Scripture We know that the early church was mostly Jewish, which means they were understandably interested in the many laws of the Old Testament. God had given the ancient people of Israel some 613 rules and regulations to live by. That's how Jesus and his initial followers determined what life should look like for them. But then Jesus, in his ministry, had reinterpreted some of those commands. He was more flexible In regard to the Sabbath, for instance, Jesus didn't care so much about the purity laws as in washing hands or avoiding certain unclean people. He also said some unexpected things about enemies and divorce and the function of the temple. Jesus got into so many arguments with religious leaders about these things that some of his followers started to think that he was going in a different direction from Judaism altogether. That Jesus had done away with the Old Testament law. And unfortunately, many Christians today still think this is the case. The common misunderstanding is that God is portrayed in the Old Testament as wrathful and authoritarian, while in the New Testament, Jesus showed God to be all about grace and love. But then there's this story, where a Jewish scribe, a legal expert, comes to Jesus asking which commandment is the greatest. And maybe surprisingly, the two of them are in full agreement. There is no conflict, no disagreement between them. It's just two devout religious leaders affirming what each other has to say. Encouraging each other. Rejoicing together in the truth. They declare together that God's intent for humanity is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like in some churches where where one person says, God is great. And the other person says, 
All the time. And then I might say, all the time. And, God, and people say, God is great. It feels good to participate in this kind of thing, to be on the same page, to say as we do, peace be with you. And you say, and also with you. Because peace is something that we can agree on. It's something we know that God wants for all of us. We know God also desires unity for God's people, peace through agreement. That's why it feels so good also to say amen once in a while, which is another form of verbal agreement. At the end of someone else's prayer, we can say amen, which means literally a rock. What that person prayed was solid, and I concur. This is a firm foundation. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this scribe comes to Jesus, having been raised in the same tradition, on the same good foundation of the Hebrew Bible. He notices that Jesus has a solid understanding of Scripture. And so he says to Jesus, his brother, his fellow biblical scholar, he says, what would you say, Jesus, is the most important commandment of all? Notice the assumption that they're all important, just in different ways. The question was, which one takes priority? It wasn't meant to be a trick question. It wasn't an unusual question. This scribe just wanted to, li- to know how to live better, how to better align with God's holy will. And so Jesus answered the question, which was somewhat unusual for him. He didn't typically answer a lot of questions directly, but Jesus seemed to like this one for some reason. Maybe he was thinking, ah, here is a kindred spirit. This guy is speaking my language. Or maybe it was just an easy question to answer. The most important commandment, said Jesus, is the one that we Jews say every day, every morning when we get out of bed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of yourself and all of your mind and all of your strength. I imagine the scribe nodding along at this point, resonating with these familiar words, maybe even getting excited, doing a little dance. Yes, amen, he thinks to himself as his heart is strangely warmed within him. This astute scribe has noticed that Jesus added the word mind to his interpretation of this primary command. In the original words of Deuteronomy, it read, love God with all your heart and self and strength. But this was just a way of implying everything we have which, Jesus was saying, includes the mind. As St. Paul would later write, we must be transformed through the renewing of our minds. Yes, that's it, says this scribe. We must love God with our full understanding. Loving God with our mind means seeking to understand, which is the whole reason to ask these questions to begin with. Faith seeking understanding for the love of God. But Jesus wasn't finished. 
And there's a second commandment that's similar. He said, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Again, this scribe, he's over the moon. Yes, amen. It's not just one commandment, but two. They go together. Others have said this before, but it's so great to hear Jesus say it also, this line from the book of Leviticus. These two commandments really do sum up the entire law and the prophets. To love one's neighbor really is more important than all manner of burnt offerings and sacrifices, religious obligations and rituals. If we could just do these things, we would be in good shape. When Jesus saw that this scribe had also answered wisely, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Meaning clearly this student of scripture was on the way. He was on the right track. Not far even. He understood correctly the importance of the law. He had surely meditated on it day and night. And he had come to the same conclusion as Jesus that it really is all about love of God and neighbor. This man was not far off. He was close. And yet he wasn't all the way there. Because close is not the whole thing. So what could have been left? What could this scribe still have been missing? What do you think would have gotten this scribe the rest of the way into God's kingdom? Unfortunately, Mark's gospel doesn't go into that, but with the benefit of having read the rest of the story, I'd be willing to venture a guess. How about you? What would you say this scribe was lacking since Jesus said, he was close, but not quite there yet. Go ahead and come up with a brief answer in your mind. If you were to guess, what could this scribe still have been lacking? I invite you to raise your hand if, if you're thinking the Sunday school answer. You know what I'm saying. The Sunday school answer, it's always the same. It's Jesus. Anybody say Jesus? Okay, we got a couple. Good. I agree. That may be part of it. Maybe this man had Judaism all figured out, but the, he didn't yet have Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That could be. Or here's, here's another, another possibility. How about grace? Since truth and grace were further revealed in Christ Jesus. We Protestants in particular like to contrast those two, the law and grace. So maybe the scribe had the law figured out, but he needed grace to get the rest of the way into the kingdom of God. Raise your hand if this is what you were thinking silently. Anyone? Okay, one, maybe half. Okay. Okay, one more. I'm thinking that this scribe understood the law and the prophets really well. He had it all figured out in his mind the right way. So maybe what remained was simply to live it. To put it into action. After all, it's, it's well and good to study and discuss God's commands. But faith without works is dead. Amen? Amen. Raise your hand if you had the same thought. Any 
fans of the book of James out there, that might be the majority. <laughs> I'm going with option three on this one because of the way this particular story is portrayed in the Gospels. In the other Gospels, that is. In one of the other versions, the scribe follows up with a, a seemingly snarky question. He says, okay, Jesus, if loving neighbors is key, then who is my neighbor? In that version, it looks like the scribe doesn't actually want to love his neighbor. He just wants to justify himself. And then in another version, there's a guy who comes to Jesus asking what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And he says, you know, Jesus, I've followed all these commandments since I was a child. And Jesus says, yes, but you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and then come follow me. Only that, the guy doesn't want to do that. He doesn't love God that much. So it appears to me as though some follow through is what is required. Because love, it isn't just an idea or an intention. Love is an action. It's only effective when we act on it. This is why that phrase, God is love, it's still an effective summary of Scripture. Because our God doesn't just sit up in the sky somewhere blowing kisses or writing love notes. We believe that God has been active in human history out of love to save us. That from the beginning, we have known God as the one who created the world out of love and delivered the children of Israel from slavery out of love. And that God so loved the world that He even sent His only begotten child to earth to die on a cross to save us from our sins. God is love in action. So the command to us is to go and do likewise. To be the people who show God's love in the world. Hear, O Israel, you who wrestle with the divine. The Lord your God is one God. Not two gods as in the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. No, there is only one God the God who came to set us free. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all that you are in every way possible. With all of your heart, yes, your emotions and your willpower. And with all of yourself, your identity and your personhood. And with all of your mind, your understanding, your intellect. And with all of your strength, as in your body, your physical energy and effort. All of this shall be devoted to God. Not just one part, one aspect of our lives. It's not enough to give, give back a little bit to God, to have a little bit of religion. God wants it all. This is the greatest commandment. Amen? And it's not there just to meditate on or contemplate, but to live by, as Jesus did. And that's where, of course, the second commandment comes into play. 
Since loving neighbors is an expression of our love of God, we know God loves all people equally, so how can anyone say that they really love God if they're treating other children of God poorly? It just doesn't work. So if we truly love God, we must also love our neighbors. Notice that Jesus always keeps these two commandments together as if they are really one and the same. The first one always comes first, and the second one does not replace it. Love God and love neighbor with everything. This is the law and the prophets. It's beautifully simple and frustratingly challenging at the same time, don't you think? I could go on and on, but I notice Jesus doesn't. The commandments are sufficient. So in closing, I'll just offer one basic implication for the church as we continue to ponder this good news of how we have been shown the way in order that we might become doers of the word and not just hearers only. Mainly, I want to say this morning that I believe this story of Scripture encourages us to keep first things first. As Jesus and this scribe agreed so long ago, it's still true for us today that the love of God is the first and greatest commandment. Therefore, we should look to this first. As most of you are aware, our congregation has been in a, a new beginnings process for the last couple years in which we've been redefining our mission. We used to say that our mission was three things, glorifying God, growing disciples, and meeting human need. But our new beginnings assessment pointed out that we've been doing a decent job of meeting human need through mission trips and food rescue and and other great uh, things that our mission committee leads us in doing. But at the same time, we've been kind of lacking in spiritual activities, as in the kinds of things that grow our, lo- our love of God, that make for effective disciples. So our call today is to work on changing course. This story reminds us that it's not, a- not enough just to love our neighbors, as good as that is. The love of God must always come first. And what might that look like for us today? Well, how about considering it in terms of love languages, since it's all about love. You know that idea of love languages? People have different ways of expressing and receiving love. Some people may prefer words of affirmation in their love of God, as in praising God continually. While others may express love through quality time, as in sitting with God in quiet meditation. Some Christians rejoice in giving gifts to God, maybe through art or music or financial gifts. Most Christians understand that acts of service are big in the kingdom of God. There's no shortage of opportunities to serve in the way of Jesus as an expression of our love of God. And the fifth and last one is physical touch, which could could be through the sacraments or other other, uh, senses of worship. 
But again, keep in mind that these commandments are inseparable. When we reach out and touch our neighbors, particularly the least of God's children, Jesus says we have done the same to him. So maybe it's more about the mindset with which we do these things. What would it be like to love others as an expression of our love for God? Not because other people are inherently lovable in themselves. They're not always. But because we know that this is how we get in touch with the God of all creation, the one who first reached out and touched us. Friends, if we agree with Jesus and we agree with this scribe and the saints of God throughout history, that the greatest and first commandment is to love God with all of our everything, then we too are not far from the kingdom of God. What remains is simply to live it. To keep first things first. Seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Trusting that as we do so, all these other things will be given to us as well. All in God's good and perfect time. Amen?